welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Well, 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 welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate your time. Uh, I am going to get right after it. Today is Monday, the 1st of May, and I'm most likely going to release this on Wednesday, so it'll be the 3rd, and that means it's going to be late in terms of you know being the first to the, uh, to the punch, but I don't really care because I care more about accuracy and understanding and around here, healthy perspectives. We want to look at things in a reasonable fashion at all times, if possible. And we're just not going to be able to do that. I know emotions are going to take hold and people are going to go crazy about stuff because it matters to them. And for that, I say, yippee, I'm glad you have emotion. That's what makes you human, at least in part. And we have the responsibility with that privilege of managing our emotion. Why do I say that? Because today, running around the country somewhere, hopefully, uh, you know, they, <laughs> well, hold on, let me reframe that. Hopefully not running around our country. Maybe the guy escaped the same route that he arrived in because there's clearly a hole along the border somewhere that this person knows about, but there is a manhunt going on. They are looking for somebody who killed, it looked like five people. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they haven't found the guy. Now, I am not going to get into a ton about this. But what it did for me was it brought up uh, a, a few things that I just want to address real quick. And then one I'm going to get really detailed in. So first of all, the report that I'm reading, or the reports, because there's multiple of them, is this man comes here illegally. Okay, that happens. Somehow gets his hand on guns. At least a gun, maybe multiple guns. That's a problem. There are laws that prevent that very thing from happening. If you are a citizen of the United States, you have to provide a social security number, you have to provide a driver's license or some form of uh, a government-approved identification in order to purchase a gun. And yet, this guy could not have had those things and purchased or stole, what I'm not sure yet, a gun. So he got his hands on a gun, at least one gun. That's a problem. We have laws in place for a reason. And let me be really clear here. Laws mean jack squat. They don't mean anything if they're not enforced. Speeding laws that are not enforced, they don't mean anything. Uh, breaking and entering, if not enforced, doesn't mean anything. Looting doesn't mean anything if it's not enforced. Uh, destruction of property, meaningless if not enforced. Drug use. Who cares? If it's not enforced, it's a meaningless law. It doesn't have any impact. A law that is not enforced means nothing. Why do I say that? 
He broke the law coming to the country. He broke the law getting in possession of a gun. He broke the law again using the gun. And if we don't enforce the laws that exist, it doesn't matter. They don't mean anything. Murder means nothing if it's not enforced. Okay, I'm off my rant now. I want to tell you what this brought to me. Laws that mean nothing. Let me tell you as a clinician where that has become most evident in my work. It's evident in a lot of places. I'm not going to beat around the bush there. But there's one place that it seems to be most evident. And that is in addiction work. I've spent many years doing addiction work. And in the addiction world, uh, well, let me, let me just tell you a little story about how this went down. Okay. I worked in uh, a, a, a program working with, uh, you know, lots of people who had addictions or, uh, you know, uh, defiant issues, um, you know, you name it, depression, anxiety, like all of them, uh, including some of the more severe, what we would call mental health disorders. Severe, meaning uh, they are most impactful socially and culturally. However, let's be real. Also, every mental health issue is severe to the person who is struggling with it. If you got a personality disorder, it feels severe to you. Uh, if you are uh, you know, dealing with psychotic features, that's going to be severe to you. It's also going to be severe to the people around you. And really, the ones that are most impactful to the people around us are the most burdensome culturally. Whether you like that or not, that's just a picture of reality. Okay. In the addiction world, I sat down with a group, a group of addicts, self-proclaimed addicts. I didn't label them an addict. They self-identified as addicts. And specifically, we were dealing with drug addiction. That would be anything from, you know, vaping to uh, cocaine, heroin, you know, the like. So it was a pretty wide range of, of presentation. Now, in addiction to those who have dealt with addiction, addiction is addiction. If you're, you know, if vaping is your addiction, yes, it may be a little more socially acceptable um, and it's still an addiction. So we're not going to, we're not going to get into that part too much, but I sat down with this group and I said, look, there's all these form relapse prevention plans out there in the world. We could take one of those and we could just go through the motions. Is that something you all are interested in doing? Of course, I framed it a lot more gentle than that. You know, it was like, look, there's all these options. We can choose from one of these or we can come up with our own, right? They universally, every single one of them wanted to create their own model. Now, that was a, a learning opportunity for me as a young therapist at the time. And I was, I was like, okay, good. Let's, let's, go, let's go through this. I, I had read and studied and, you know, all this stuff with addiction. Um, I'm not foreign to the idea of addiction. So I said, let's, let's create something. And in the back of my head, I said, I'm going to go open book here, but 
in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, there's a couple of things that got to hit. They just, they, they've got to hit them. And so they go through and uh, they, they, it was a, it was, every group is different. And they ended up using like these Star Wars analogies and they totally geeked out on it. It was, it was kind of fun and entertaining going down their path, not mine, but theirs. But essentially they narrowed it down to relapse prevention plan categories. And they chose environment, passions and interests, support systems, backup plans, and self-knowledge, self-care. When we explored the backup plans, now let me, let me just go down this for a moment because that's really the gist of today's podcast. The backup plans. We have to have a backup plan. Now, as a country, we have a backup plan. It's called the police, the sheriff, uh, the, you know, the military. They are there for one reason and only one reason. To create safety in the midst of chaos. If people are driving too fast, create safety. If people are hurting others, create safety. If you've got a domestic dispute, create safety. Their role is singular. Create safety. Now, how do they do that? They do that through laws. So how does this connect directly to the relapse prevention plan? I know I'm doing a parallel here, so I hope I'm not losing you. It connects because the backup plan section of the relapse prevention plan is the accountability portion. It's the what do we do in an emergency situation? And let's be real. Every single addict I've ever worked with, ever, said if the backup plan or the emergency plan or the consequences for failing to follow my own standards and expectations, if the consequences are not harsh enough, and this is where every addict I've ever worked with, at least thus far, has universally explained this. If they aren't harsh enough, if the consequences aren't hard enough, scary enough, real enough, fill in the blank with whatever terminology you want. They said it is not a relapse prevention plan. It is a relapse plan. It's a plan to manage the relapse, which is a totally different thing. And when you parallel that with law enforcement, if you take out that emergency chaos plan, you end up in the same spot. So why am I going down this path? Twofold. One, I want you to understand that the psychology, the individual psychology of you and me requires us to set clear boundaries for ourselves and for our social interactions. And when those are broken, if there are not consequences for it, now, as far as consequences go, I'm pretty lenient in this, in this uh, framework. I want to do as little as possible that is effective. So honestly, most people, you pull them over, 
you don't even have to write them a ticket every single time. If you pull them over, they're terrified. And for the next month, three weeks, two weeks, something like that, they are driving way more carefully. So, yeah, I mean, a ticket will change behavior also. But just the act of them knowing that they broke the law and it is enforceable is sometimes enough for some people. However, if you make the habit of letting people go, then the word gets out that the consequences aren't actually there. So can they let somebody go in a a traffic ticket? Sure. Can you give leniency when somebody relapses? Sure. But if the habit is to do that, you're going to create a system that doesn't have enforcement. If there's no enforcement, the laws or the expectations don't actually hold meaning. So I bring that up because as I was paralleling these things, I'm going, hmm, I'm going to teach the relapse prevention plan. I'm going to do it in a little bit of detail, but I'm also going to throw in a current event, which is when this man is found, it is my hope, not only that they jail or imprison him, but that even if they do let him go back to his country, it is under the agreement that he is just going to a jail or a prison there. And if the country doesn't agree to that, then don't send him back. Keep him here. Keep him jailed for the rest of his life. Or, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the laws are in Texas, but if there's a, if there's a death penalty, consider that. I am not big on the death penalty. I think most people can be, uh, uh, you know, they can have change if things get bad enough. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, this is pretty bad. Um, that being said, you know, the, the laws of the location do matter and I wouldn't do anything to impede those. All right. So what we have here is this thing going on, this manhunt going on. Here's my big concern about that. And then I'm going to wrap that part up. I'm going to get a little bit deeper into the relapse prevention plan. Okay. Part of my concern is dude's been deported what at least four times based on the reports that I've seen. That means for whatever reason, it's not working. The law is being broken rebroken, rebroken, and rebroken. And there's no further consequence. Sounds like a problem. I don't think that's the way our laws are written. I don't know that for sure. But if nothing else, the the law there, if it's really written to just deport, 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 even if laws are continuously being broken, Maybe we need to look into that because that's not, that's not a hard enough law at that point. It's like strike one, you get this. So in a relapse prevention plan, what that looks like, strike one, it would be 
I broke my own boundary because in a relapse prevention plan, they set their own expectations. Here is when I know I went too far. I don't remember the night. Uh, or I use this drug or this drug because these are drugs I know I cannot uh, I have any control around. In a first offense, if it's something like, oh, uh, I'm going to go talk to um, uh, my, uh, my sponsor. Um, okay. I mean, let's be real for an addict. That's, I mean, that's only kind of scary. It's kind of scary because I don't want to admit if I'm an addict that I have made this mistake and I have to start my, uh, process all over again. But in terms of like real consequence, I mean, that's not really a significant consequence. So most people who write a relapse prevention plan who are trying to actually prevent relapse are going to say something like, uh, I have to attend an AA or NA group for 90 straight days. Do you know how convenient that is? Yeah, not very. Why do they do that? They do that because it needs to be hard enough that they won't want to use or break their using expectations, right? It's got to be hard enough. Now, can you go overkill? Yeah, if the first time you relapse, you're like, I'm going to be admitted into a program. I'm going to lose my, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cut up my driver's license so I can't drive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to like, and they throw out like 10 different things. Yeah, that's overkill. That's not encouraging them to ever actually authentically own their behavior. But it's got to be hard enough too. There is this sweet spot that, that has to be found there. You know, maybe it's two years of jail, 10 years of jail, lifetime in jail, right? There's a lot of options. Maybe it's community service, right? By the way, in, in the relapse prevention plans, a lot of times I love, I love encouraging people. It's like, hey, first offense, even if you don't get caught by law enforcement, like 30 hours of community service. Get, get in there, get your hands dirty, get out there, contribute back to society because you know, you're one, you're failing yourself, but that means you are hurting others in some way. Cause there are people who love you and care about you and they don't want you to go down this path because it leads to death. Ultimately, if you don't make a correction, it's going to lead to an early death. Now, some people can live with addiction for a very long time, but ultimately it's going to get you. Yeah, it's going to get you heart disease, cancer, uh, you know, like hit by a car, you know, crashing your car into somebody and killing somebody else, ending up in prison. Like there's a lot of ways it ruins your life. So having a relatively hard strike one, big deal. If strike two doesn't up the ante tenfold, it's not good enough. Strike two, we see things like, I'm going to do a 30-day program. It costs a fortune. Yep. Of course it does. But if I get to strike two, I clearly am screaming to myself and everybody around me that I cannot handle myself. 
this dude in Texas strike four. Are you kidding me? I mean, any addict who's done any work on a relapse prevention plan, who's attended an AA meeting, even, even like five times knows four times you strike four times. You need help. That's what they're going to say. You need help. And what kind of help? Well, start with accountability, real authentic accountability. Look at your life. Understand you are actually powerless. Why? You're proving it over and over that you do not have the self-control to do things the legal way, the right way, the way in which you or you establish yourself in a relapse prevention plan. Here's the other part that's kind of funny. The social expectations. The social expectations when it comes to a relapse, you're not doing it just for yourself. Just like the laws aren't just for one person. They don't write laws for one person. That would be a pointless law. I mean, that would be using the law to attack a person. They, law, they write these laws for all the people. So it has impacts on other people. That can be assumed that if one person creates the expectation, it must impact others. Now, in a relapse prevention plan, that's the people that love you if you're an addict. Because you going down your addiction pathway hurts them. If nothing else, it hurts them emotionally to see you suffering. You can frame it however you want when you're in the middle of your addiction. You are creating suffering. It is not relief. That's the lie you tell yourself. Suffering. But here's the other part. If others don't know about the law, and this is part of what we're running into, in both situations, as we draw these parallels, if you create a relapse prevention plan or there is a law that is created and nobody knows what it is, it's pointless, worthless, waste of time. People have to know them. And part of the problem we're running into with our laws, how many laws are there? Can anybody really know all of them? No, absolutely not. Even an attorney, somebody who does it for a living, they're constantly looking that stuff up. Okay, what exactly, which laws were broken? How exactly do we frame them so that we are attacking the right law with the right person at the right crime. And with the relapse prevention plan, if you don't hand copies of your plan to the people around you, if you're, you know, your, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your friend, your sponsor, if you're not handing an actual copy of it to them so that they know what your backup plan is, what your expectations of yourself are, what the laws are, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. 
If you're the only one who knows, nothing's going to prevent you from breaking it. Because why? An addict will lie to themselves saying, eh, whatever. That was just me when I was sober. I'm not sober right now, so that's not me. I don't care. That's, that is the reality. And that is the link. Let's have some real accountability. I'm talking about accountability. Like let's just obey the laws that we have on the books. There's plenty of them. Let's follow the plan we have for sobriety. Let's follow our exercise, our eating, our sleeping pattern plan. And if we don't, let's create some reasonable but hard consequences for it and get somebody to enforce it. That's a reality. I know those two parallels may not seem at first glance like they have a ton to deal with each other, but they absolutely do. Laws are like the backup plan for a relapse prevention so that we don't break them. They got to be hard enough. They can't be overkill. We got to find that happy medium and social um, networking, social consequence has to be part of every single law and relapse prevention plan. And if it's not in there, it's not going to work. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope this was helpful. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.